I'm your credit card bills, school loans, medical expenses, and your mortgage. Take your pick. I'm with you wherever you go. In the back of your mind, causing guilt all over buying that overpriced cup of coffee. 3% off camping gear? Or that $400 Amazon Prime deal. Done. And you don't have an emergency fund. Then you get a flat tire. And a cavity. Your AC breaks and it's 100 degrees out. Suddenly, I just got a lot bigger. But I can go away. Honor God's principles. Make a plan. Live financially free. Yes! I think we found a way to pay off all these bills. I can't believe it. And protect yourself from debt like me. Good stuff. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing to all you guys that are here? Those of you who are watching online, so good to see you today. Tomorrow night is going to be an exciting evening here at the Bridge. You've heard about this, right? Dino Rizzo, who is the executive director of the ARC, Association of Related Churches, uh, is coming here to be with us. The Action Network partners with ARC for planting churches. I don't know if you know this or not, but together with the ARC, we planted 38 churches last weekend around the country. Amen. We've got two coming online today. I've just been texting with a church planter in Kansas City. He's, their church is starting today, and so it's exciting stuff. Dino's going to be here tomorrow night, but perhaps more powerful for us as a family is that several of our new pastors and ministers are being ordained tomorrow night. Uh, so Brian Talton, who's our new student ministries pastor for the Mount Olive campus, uh, Jenny Ross, of course, is our children's pastor here in the Princeton campus and overall children's ministries. And Cassie Sanders, who is the director of operations for the Goldsboro campus, are all being ordained, along with a number of other people from across the mid-Atlantic states. So plan to be here tomorrow night. Open to the public, free, come, powerful time of worship. Team from Community Church, the church that Kim and I led in Chesapeake uh, for 25 years, will be here uh, to lead us into worship. So I hope you'll plan to be here at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Let's, let's have a good bridge showing, okay? Let's support them. appreciate you coming. Got it? Got it. All right. We're in a series we're calling Living Financially Free, and we've established so far in the series that money is a, is a huge topic in Scripture. More than 2,000 verses that apply to money, uh, more about money than heaven and hell combined. You sum all that up together, and it just comes down to this one simple statement, God wants you financially free. Say it with me. God wants us financially free. Let's say it me. God wants me financially free. He wants you free from worry. He wants you free from stress. He wants you free from guilt. He wants you free to enjoy the blessings that he provides for you. He wants you free to give. God wants us financially free. If you missed any of the manuscripts in these messages, then go to info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to send it to you. Be thrilled to send it to you. Take this material and, and absorb it. Teach it. I don't care. Use it. Make it your own. Change one word and say it's yours. I don't care. Just get the word out there that God wants us financially free. If you want to follow along today, the Bible app, events, the Bridge Princeton, you can follow along with all the scriptures 
and, uh, and points that I'll be making today as we continue the series. And if you're going to tweet something, use hashtag financially free, okay? We've looked every week at the most prominent verse in all of Scripture that makes it clear God wants us financially free. That's uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. So let's re- re- kind of remind ourselves one more time. Here we go. My God will meet what? all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Just seeing if you're awake out there. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. An amazing promise from God, so let's just all go to the beach. He's going to meet all our needs. We can just go take it easy, right? The problem is that every promise of God in Scripture has a premise. There is an if-then. God says, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. And you can always count on him to do his part. The only question is whether we'll do our part. And so what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been trying to get a handle on the premises that are tied to this promise. What does it mean to be in Christ as it relates to our finances? And week by week, we've been learning a principle and then making a commitment to live by those principles. In fact, you put it all together, here's what you get. We put it on the screens, here we go. If, if you manage your finances God's way, he will make up the difference between what you're capable of and what you need. Let's read it together one more time. If you manage your finances God's way, he will make up the difference between what you're capable of doing and what you need. There's a doing on our part. There's a need. God will make the difference for us. So let's just get into it. Principle number one was, those of you who are here, you remember what it was? Principle number one is you can't manage wealth until you produce it. And so somewhere in that kind of balance between lazy living, entitlement mentality, and workaholism, there's a balance that whatever you do, you do is under the Lord. Principle number two is you can only be financially free if you plan to be free. And so last week I gave you the plan that Kim and I have been living by all these years. And uh, we call it simply 10-10-80. If you missed that, get that manuscript. And if you've got a different plan, fine. I mean, there's no straitjackets. There's no legalisms here. I'm just saying give some, save some, live on the rest, okay? Make sure that you've got a plan and then work your plan. I'm here as a living testament that 101080 puts you in a position that you don't have to worry about what am I going to do if Social Security goes away because you've done it God's way. He provides for you. Principle number three, you ready to get into it? Principle number three is freedom comes to lenders, not debtors. Say it with me. Freedom comes to lenders, not debtors. Debtors, my goal simply today is to teach you the basic elements of what it means to be living debt-free. Fun subject, right? It really is, guys. Let me me tell you, just as as your pastor, and I know I'm just meeting you, uh, so many of you guys, and I'm meeting a lot of you, and, and I apologize if I forgot your name and we met last week and I can't remember that. Just bear with me. Uh, for a while as I work hard and, and I'm learning so many of your names, but I've fallen in love with you. You know that, right? I don't have to know your name to love you. And here's what I want you to know. I think the number one stressor in all of our lives is when we get ourselves in debt. We find ourselves wanting to do things we can't do, wanting to give in ways we can't give. Because we are in debt. So this may well be the most important, I hate to do that, but the most important of the four messages in this series. Lean into this one. Get 
this one. Okay, so I'm going to teach you the basic elements of living debt-free, but first I want to inspire you. I want to help you uh, understand why it's important, because you know change is hard. Can I get an amen in the house? If we're going to do things differently, whatever area of our lives we're talking about, if we're going to do things differently, then it's hard. We need to understand the why so that when it gets tough, we can go, wait a minute, what I'm doing this because, right? Or when the world starts tempting you to take on another debt, and, and you're going, ah, should I, should I? You remember why you're working toward living debt free. So let me just very quickly give you five reasons why you should live debt free, and then we're going to get into the YBH, the yes but hows. I've told you before, my pet peeve is a preacher tell me what to do and not tell me how to do it. So we're going to focus on the, on the practicals. But let me give you five reasons why, real quick, okay? Number one, reason number one, debt undermines your happiness. Is it true? Now, it doesn't undermine your joy. Joy is internal. Joy is eternal. Joy is based on who Jesus is and what he's done to your life. Happiness is circumstantial. But happiness is not a bad thing. It just simply rises and falls on current set of circumstances. And so if you don't want your happiness undermined, then you've got to set your circumstances up in a certain way. So how do you enjoy going out to dinner? How do you enjoy going away for the weekend? How do you enjoy going on vacation if every time you whoop out your credit card, every time you take out a checkbook, every time you reach out and get some cash, you're thinking, I probably ought to be paying that bill instead of doing this. I probably ought to be paying that debt down instead of doing this. Here, I'm just adding to the problem. I mean, where's the fun in that, right? Debt undermines your happiness, but saving increases it. It does. It's an incredible feeling that comes from saving toward something, and then going and paying cash for that something. Anybody here know that feeling? It's a good feeling, isn't it? Number two, debt obligates you to earning pressures. When you're in debt, you better earn, and you better earn consistently. You know, as a pastor, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of families over the years, and and it amazes me how many people make decent money. They make good money sometimes, but they live paycheck to paycheck, and you miss one paycheck, and the panic is amazing. And then there are those who work two and three jobs just trying to pay their debt. I mean, what kind of life is that? But while debt obligates you to earning pressures, saving relieves those pressures. I mean, one of the realities of our times is that even good, conscientious, hard workers get laid off sometimes. Is that true? I mean, it happens these days. So when you've been saving money and that happens, you you don't panic. You go out and look for a job, but you don't necessarily have to take the first job that comes along, right? Because you've been saving. And when you go to a job interview, you don't have that panicked look on your face while you're in there. I really need this job. Bosses don't hire panicked people. They, They hire competent people, confident people. So debt obligates you to earning pressures but saving relieves it. Debt limits your giving potential. When you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, there's no doubt that there are going to be times when God's going to prompt your spirit to help out with a need. You're going to hear about something going on, and you can say, I want to be a part of that. You're going to hear about uh, the Kentucky ministry, or you're going to hear about Belize, or you're going to hear about missionaries that come to our stage once a month. You're going to hear about all kinds of things that the bridge, our church family, is doing across the community and across the world, and you're going to say, I want to be a part of that. But if you're deep in debt, you don't feel joy at being a part of it. You feel pain of saying, I wish I could, but I can't. Offering Fit for a King that's coming up next week, I realize is a source of 
of fulfillment and joy for some people, but for others, it's a, it's a oh man, I wish I could, but I can't kind of thing, and the joy drains out of your face before you know it. I, I understand that. We're not here to put pressure on you or guilt trip you in some way. All we're saying is that debt limits your giving potential, but saving enhances it. One of the things that Kim and I did many years ago is we actually created a giving fund, and every month a certain amount of money goes into that giving fund, and then when something comes along, we're not struggling with trying to figure out where the money's coming from. We just say, you know, okay, God, what do you want us to do? Because we've got a fund set up specifically for that. It's pretty incredible how freeing that is. A big one, number four, debt diminishes your Christian witness. The quickest way to discourage a seeker of genuine Christianity is let him see somebody who is a professed follower of Christ who lives under the load of debt constantly, who can't pay his bills. Is it true? I, I went to apply for a car loan one time many years ago, and, and I'm sitting across the desk from the business manager and filled out the application for a loan, and, and when he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, uh, do you do anything else on the side? I thought, a little carpentry work or something or other. I said, well, not really, you know, for money. I do a little hobby stuff. But he said, there's nothing else you do? I said, why? Why is it so important? He said, because your application will go through faster if you put something else other than pastor. And it broke my heart to think that Somehow we've developed a reputation of not paying our bills. Nothing diminishes your Christian witness more readily than living in a way that you're just broke all the time and you're not able to tip in the restaurant. You, you know, waitresses tell me in, in restaurants that the Sunday crowd is the worst tippers of the week. The churchgoers are the worst tippers of the week. That's, that's a shame, guys. That's a shame. We ought to change that. We ought to change that. That diminishes our Christian witness, but saving empowers it. In fact, writers have actually given it a term. They call it redemptive lift. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you start managing your finances God's way, and blessings start flowing to you, and others see those blessings, and they say, what in the world's going on with you, man? You make the same money I do. How are you living that way? And you're just able to smile and say, his name is Jesus. This is who I was, and then I met Jesus, and this is who I'm becoming, because I'm beginning to live his way in his power. Number five, the number one motivator to me is that debt enslaves you to the lender. Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is a slave of the lender. Hear me, guys, you know this, but you still need to hear me say it. Every time you sign up for a debt, you give away a slice of your freedom to that creditor. Hello? They say jump, you say how high? They say, pay me first. They couldn't care less whether you have groceries or not. They couldn't care less what else is going on in your bank because there's a computer system out there somewhere spitting out the letters and spitting out the reminders that there's a debt due, right? And if you call them and say, you know, here's what's really going on, if it's a local operation, they might work with you, but most of them these days are not local anymore, and so what do they do? Say, sorry, that's going on in your life, but if you don't pay me on time, I'm going to put a lien on your property, right? If you don't pay me in full, I'll ruin you. Have a nice day. 
That's just the reality of it, guys. Knowing that somebody has that kind of power over you is bondage. There's no other word for it but bondage. Now, does that mean that all debt is wrong? No, but it does mean that no debt is good. There are some debts, like you've got a, a performing asset that balances off that debt, like a home mortgage or, or a well-planned business plan to, to be able to get your business up and running. I mean, there's sometimes that, that debt is appropriate, but at the same time, guys, you need to remember, no matter what the kind of debt or how appropriate it appears to be, pretty much all debt should be avoided because while debt undermines your happiness, obligates you to earning pressures, limits your giving potential, diminishes your Christian witness, and enslaves you to the lender, saving sets you free. It's amazing how free it is. So principle number three, I'm going to teach it to you today in practical terms. Freedom comes to lenders, not debtors. Say it with me. Freedom comes to lenders, not debtors. In fact, I ran some calcs this week just to kind of illustrate that before we get into the how-tos, okay? <coughs> Maybe they'll help you. All right, here's, here's the deal. Let, I just took a typical American. The typical American right now has $25,000 in credit card debt. That's the average across the country right now. And the average interest rate on credit cards these days is 18%. You might have a 12% or a 9% because you got really good credit, but you might have a 21 or a 23% if you got bad credit. I mean, so 18 is the average. So here, lean in. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Don't try to remember the details. Just get the essence of it, okay? If you owe $25,000 at 18% to a credit card, if you cut the card up and never use it again, got me? You will pay $376.62 a month for 30 years to pay it off. And so in that 30 years, you will have paid $112,842.67 in interest plus the original $25,000, total paid $137,842.67 and nothing to show for it at the end. Ouch. Now, I said freedom comes to lenders, not debtors. Let's look on the lender's side. Let's say that you loaned a bank $100 at 6%. They don't pay you nearly as much as they charge. And 6 is high right now, but, you know, over the long haul, that's a good number. If you deposit the same $376.62 a month for 30 years, same amount of money, you will have deposited by the end of that 30 years $135,583.20. But you will have earned $243,339.51 in interest paid to you. You will have in savings $378,922.71 that you can use for anything you want to use. Do you see the contrast? You can pay 137000 and have nothing to show for it at the end of the 30 years, or you can put the same amount as a lender to the bank or a lender to your pension plan or lender to your 401k or 403b or IRA or Roth or whatever it is you use, and you can end up with almost $400,000 in savings with the same amount of money, guys. The only difference is whether you are a lender or a debtor. 
whether the bank loaned you money or you loaned them money. So, for many, our financial lives is kind of like being on uh, on these escalators that are side by side. You've seen those in the store. One goes up, one goes down. And you know financial freedom is at the top of the up escalator, but you're in the crowd on the down escalator, and you're watching the up guys go by wishing you could be up there with them, but the only way to get from the down escalator to the up escalator is to get rid of the debt that's bringing you down in order to turn the corner and start up. Is this making sense? So that's what I want to lean into in the few minutes we've got left is how do you get off the down and onto the up, okay? Worth a few minutes? If you're already debt-free and, uh, and you don't need this, then God bless you, thanks for coming today. Maybe you can learn something to teach somebody else. But here we go, all right, here we go. Five elements, not necessarily in order, but five elements. And here's what I want to do differently today than from the other series. I actually want to make this practical, applicational. So I'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself on each of these five elements. I'm going to ask you to get a piece of paper. Maybe you want to use your smartphone or your tablet. You can get one of them note cards out of the the, uh, seat back in front of you and write it down. But with every element, I'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself. And I'm going to give you a little scale uh, just to write down a number. You can hide it so nobody can see. Do it under here like that, you know. But... uh, But let's make this real practical, okay? You going to do it? Here we go. Element number one is keep good records. Keep good records. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23 and 4, riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interest closely. Solomon's saying you never know financial freedom until you keep some records. Pastor Jim paraphrased, money used to talk, now it just quietly slips away. (laughs) We've all been in that place where we come to the end of the money before we come to the end of the month and we find ourselves saying, ah, how did we get here? I, where did the money go? Hear me, guys. you got to be realistic about where you are before you can map a plan to get to where you want to be. That is so simple and, and yet so profound. So you got to ask, how are we really doing? Adage I learned a long time ago is ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. And easy credit is out there, guys. The the banks and others will loan you far more money than you can afford to pay. They don't care. They'll just come get your stuff and sell it again. I don't mean to be mean, but this is reality. This is where we live. So there's four things you need to know. You need to know what you owe, what you own, what you earn, and what you spend. You need to take time to write down what I owe, what I own, in other words, assets and liabilities, what I earn, how much income do I have, and how much do I spend. you got to stop looking at a debt through the lens of uh, how much is the monthly payment? I think I can swing that. you, you got to get bigger picture than that and say, what do I owe, what do I own, what do I earn, what do I spend? And then you got to write it down, and you got to keep some kind of a log. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, that sounds great, but I just don't have time to keep records, I would simply ask, do you have time to worry about your finances? Because you ain't going to stop until, element number one, you keep good records. So ready to rate yourself? Okay, here we go. Scale of 1 to 10. If you say, ah, I don't even bother to balance my checkbook. I just take whatever the bank says. Give yourself a zero. Boom. Big guess, uh, goose egg, okay? Got it? There's probably some zeros in the room or online. Do it. 
If you say, you know, I balance my checkbook, but ah, I have no clue what my net worth is. I don't really know exactly how much I own or how much I owe, then give yourself a five. At least you're kind of moving up the scale a little bit, but you've got a long way to go. If you can honestly say, yes, sir, I know what I owe. I know what I own. I know what I earn. I know what I spend. Give yourself a 10. I hope there are some 10s in the house. Ready for element number two. Second, you've got to develop a budget. You've got to develop a budget. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Guys, if, if, you, if you don't hear anything else from this message, hear this. Financial freedom is not determined by your income. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. It's determined by how you spend what you earn. So Pastor Jim, prayer phrase of Proverbs 21.5, if you have to hurry so you won't miss out, you probably shouldn't buy it. Ain't worth it. Bottom line is you got to B-U-D-G-E-T, you got to budget. And oh, by the way, there's only 96 shopping days left before Christmas. I hope you've been budgeting for that. And there are lots of ways to budget. There are lots of kind of systems out there for budgeting. My favorite is one that I ran across several years ago and, and I've tried to use. It's, just, it's based on three lists, okay? Let me teach it to you right quick. List number one is write down everything that's essential. I'm talking about housing, food, transportation, Mrs. Smith's apple pie. I mean, the really essential stuff, right? Okay? That's just your first list. Your second list is everything that's non-essential, but you really want it, okay? New furniture, uh, a newer car, a new computer. Yeah, you don't have to have it, but you really like to uh, if you can, okay? List number two. List number three is write down everything for which you have no use, but you're going to buy it anyway because you're dumb. <laughs> Got it? Like a Nordic ski tracker that you're still making monthly payments on and hanging your shirts on every weekend, right? We don't throw elbows in this church. I saw some elbows flying. We don't throw elbows here. So here, here's how you budget. Based on those three lists, everything essential, everything non-essential, but we want, everything no use for, we buy because we're dumb. Here we go. Throw away list two and three and only buy list one until you're debt-free. This is deep stuff, guys. This is deep stuff. You know the most important thing I can teach you on this element, though, about debt-free living? Pray for it before you pay for it. I think our credit cards have made it far easier for us not to live by faith. We live by faith in plastic instead of faith that God will provide if I'll just trust, if I'll just pray, if I'll just wait. It's amazing how God shows up in ways that you never thought of and provides in ways that you never never occurred to you if you will pray for it before you pay for it. So evaluate yourself. If you say, I've got a written budget, it's a clear system, short range and long range, and I follow it, give yourself a 10. I hope there are some 10s in the house. If you say, I, yeah, I wrote a budget, kind of worked it all out. I'm not as careful as I might be in following it, then give yourself a four, five, or six, depending on, you know, how careful you are in following it. If you say, I don't have enough money, 
or I got plenty of money, I don't need to budget, give yourself a zero, right? Uh, you want to be lenders instead of debtors? You got to keep good records. You got to develop a budget. You ready for element three? This is, this is a big one. Enjoy what you already have. I know some of you have mastered the discipline of contentment, but the, but the truth is, for an awful lot of us, it's, it's hard to say the words, this is enough. What I have is enough. I'm getting along fine with what I have. One of the lessons that Kim and I learned, we bought a house in Virginia 25 years ago in a foreclosure sale, and we kind of flipped it and lived in it. It was 4,200 square feet, seven bedrooms, four bathrooms, this monstrosity of a house. God used it in wonderful ways. We had families living with us over the years, and, you know, we just turned it into a hospitality place. But we moved to Goldsboro. We're living in 700 square feet, and we're just as happy as we can be. I can't tell an iota of difference. As I think about it, we lived in 700 square feet at the end of that 4,000 square foot house. But getting to that place where you can say, I don't need that new car. I don't need that big house. I don't need all that stuff. But have you ever noticed how often your car breaks down when you start thinking I might want a new car? Or how faded the paint looks when you start thinking about it? I'd love to have one of those. It's true. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 Here's what the Apostle Paul said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have, what did he say? Learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or not. What's the secret? He learned the secret. What's the secret? I can altogether, out loud, I can do all this through him who gives me Now, two key words, two key phrases in that passage. You see them? First of all, I learned the secret of contentment. It does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Everything in our spirit, everything in our natural, in our flesh says, I need, I crave, I want. But when Christ is at the center, he gives us everything we need to overcome those fleshly cravings. Now, hear me out, okay? Uh, contentment is not complacency. Contentment does not mean that you don't have financial goals or ambitions or desires. Uh, ambition is morally neutral. You, you know what I mean by that? Ambition is neither good nor bad. It's only your motive behind the ambition that's good or bad. It's, uh, you ought to grow. You ought to grow financially. You ought to grow personally. You ought to grow spiritually. You ought to grow emotionally. All I'm saying is... If you can complete this sentence, I will be satisfied when I have blank, then you aren't there yet. If anything comes to mind, you're not content yet. To get there, you need to put this verse on your refrigerator. Write it down in big letters. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Isaiah 55.2. Why spend, come on, why spend money on what does not satisfy? I'm not saying don't have nice stuff. I'm saying your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. I'm saying don't let things that can be taken away from you be the foundation of your joy. I'm saying let God, who can never be taken away from you, be your foundation. 
and watch what God does. So evaluate yourself. If you've been thinking, you know, Jim's right, things don't satisfy, I only need to buy, you know, a newer car and then I'll be fine. Give yourself a zero. You just flunked, okay? That's tough. Okay, that's tough. If you say, I'm thankful for what God has blessed me with and I'm committed to taking care of it, but if I lost it all today, I'd still have joy. Give yourself a 10, okay? Give yourself a 10. So the biblical elements to being debt-free are, you want to rehearse them? Keep good records, budget, enjoy what you have. Ready for element four? Give some away. Whoa, 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 wait. No, uh, okay, the first three I get. That makes sense. I'm trying to get debt-free. How does does this one make sense? Uh, So let me be honest. If you work the first three, uh, you may actually clear some debts. You may even get ahead. But you still won't have joy. You still won't have joy. You know that there are only two kinds of people in the world when it comes to this stuff? There's givers and there's takers. And takers are never satisfied because they are self-centered. And there's no way that you will ever be completely satisfied or content as long as you're focusing on self. Givers are others-centered, and there's joy and satisfaction that begins to fill the void when we do that. The antidote to being self-centered is to be other-centered. It's called generosity. That's the antidote to the poison. That's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22, 9, a generous person will be blessed because he shares his food with the poor. Now, let me teach you something about generosity, okay? Generosity is not defined by how much you give. Does that make sense? It's defined by how much you have left after you have given. If I call one of you out and give you $100 right now, uh, ooh, ooh, me, pick me, uh, am I a generous person? Well, Well, you don't know because you don't know how much I got, right? If Bill Gates says, come here, I'm going to give you $100. Is he a generous person? No. If he gave everybody in America $100, we might say he's being generous. But even then, I'm not sure that would touch his net worth. Is this making sense? Generosity is not measured by how much you give. It's measured by how much you have left when you're done giving. And generosity is the antidote to that self-centered taker mentality. Let's be honest, guys. There's a kick that comes from getting something new. Hello, don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's something cool. We get a new car, and we think, wow, this is really cool. Look, I'm driving a new car, and I love that new car smell. Ooh, that's really cool. But how long does it last? I mean, you drive that car for six months, and then stop by and pick me up, and and you know what I'm going to see in the back seat? Hardy's Cups. Mutant Ninja Turtles covered in mud. (laughs) You know, the new is gone already, right? So the only thing that's joy is when it it comes from sharing. It comes from giving. And, And just to be clear about this thing, that's ultimately what the offering fit for a king that we're all going to bring in next week is all about. 
And we bring our golden envelopes forward and we present that offering before the Lord. Let me tell you guys, if you've never been a part of something like that before, there will be joy in the house. And I know for some of you, it will be the joy of knowing that you took a step of faith and tithed for the first time. There's joy in the house. For others of you, there's going to be the joy of knowing I just drank the antidote to the poison that's kept me trapped in debt, and I'm believing by faith that God is going to multiply what I have left. I'm stepping out in faith, and I'm going to be a giver, not a taker. For all of us, there will be this joy of knowing we've stepped out uh, not only in terms of being debt-free ourselves, but we've stepped out to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, and God is using our gifts to make a difference in this world. In fact, I'll go so far as to say it this way. Next Sunday, offering fit for a king, I'm going to beg you to fill out one of those golden cards, bring it in, and if you only have faith to put a dollar on it, put a dollar on it. And if you come to me and say, Jim, I'd love to, I don't have a dollar, I'll give you the dollar. I'm sincere. I don't want you to miss out on the joy. I want you to be a part of what God is doing. And so when you come next week, come with that offering with joy, knowing that God is helping you to take a major step toward living debt-free in your own life. And generosity is not measured by how much you gave. It's measured by how much you have left after you have given. So evaluate yourself, okay? If you say, I hear what you're saying, and I'd love to be a giver, but I just can't afford to give anything to anyone, give yourself a zero, because you're not going to get free until you break that attitude. If you say, well, I give what I can now and then, I mean, I can't afford much, then you decide. Is it, are you three, four, five, six, seven? Where are you on that scale? And the, the more you stretch, the more you give by faith, the closer you are to 10. If you can say, you know what, I, I maintain a fund, and I'm listening for the Spirit's nudge, and, and every time the Holy Spirit says, here's what I want you to do, I do it, then give yourself a 10. I would say Kim and I are probably nines, because there are times when we go, I wish I could, but I don't think I can right now. I want to be at that place where every time the Spirit says, give to this, okay, where's my checkbook? Where's my credit card? I want to do that. Element number five, ready? Get help. Get help. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, two are better than one because they get more done by working together. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because there's no one there to help. If you're sincere about getting debt-free, you need help. First of all, if you're married, then you need to be partnering together with one another. So your first conversations with your spouse... And say, let's see if we can come into agreement to believe that if we will do this God's way, that he will multiply what we have left, and we can begin to move toward debt-free. But even, uh, even if you're a couple in agreement, you still need some backup. You still need some support, uh, some accountability. You, you understand that's, that's a huge part of what our life groups are all about? Just being in relationship with other couples. They don't have to be professionals. Just in relationship with somebody else who wants the same thing you want, who values the same thing you value, who you can say, man, here's what I'm working on. And they can say, yeah, me too. Let's, let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. How did it go this week? How are you doing this week? Ah, oh, man, I'm about to go into debt, and I don't think I should, but I don't know. What do you think? Run away. Okay, I got it. Thanks. I needed that. 
Somebody to help us. And if you need a coach, you need somebody to actually walk you through it, that's what I was broke but now I'm not is all about. Taking the teachings that I'm giving you to the next level and providing you with a coach that will walk you through the process so that you can finally be debt free. You ready for the final element? Got to close. Element number six is be patient. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. It's better to finish something than to start it. Amen? It's better to be patient than to be proud. This may be the bottom line for some of you guys, but hear me, you didn't get into debt overnight. You're not going to get out of debt overnight. That's just not what's going to happen. You may want to be out of debt bad. You just want it now. But if you aren't patient with the process, it will never happen. Let me make it very personal. I've struggled with my weight all of my life. I wore husky jeans as a kid. Then I got skinny in my teen years. And then we went to the Philippines and I got skinny as a rail, you know, tromping through the rainforest. And then I got fat again. And then I got skinny again. And then I moved to North Carolina and started eating at McCall's and I got fat again. (laughs) I have stopped and started a dozen diets in the last two years. Am I the only one in the house? But I've finally gotten into a plan with a coach who has told me, honestly, this is how long it's going to take you to get where you want to be. And I've stopped looking for results at the end of the week. I'm looking long term. I'm looking at change. Does this make sense? Why? Because I want to be your pastor for a long time. And I want to have the energy to do it for a long time. And I don't want to stand before God in the final day and hear him say, Jim, you are standing here before I was finished with you on earth because you didn't take care of yourself. I also don't want to stand in front of him in the final day and hear him say, there were things I called you to do, there were things I called you to give, but you couldn't because you didn't apply my principles to debt-free living. And if you're thinking the answer is debt consolidation loans, I need to tell you there may be a few occasions when that's okay, but most of the time all you've done is transferred the debt to somebody else, and then it just keeps going. And if you, and, and if, and if you think bankruptcy is the answer, again, there may be some occasions when that's necessary, but the, the Bible is also clear that we, owe, we have to pay our honest and just debts. So what's the answer? To stop going down the escalator of debt and going up the escalator of financial freedom? Learn the principles, work the principles. You got your note card in front of you. You've done your evaluations. I dare say there's some of you that are high, seven, eight, nine, ten, even, on the scale of some of these, and there's some of you that are down there into zero, one, two, threes on these things. I certainly didn't score ten on all of them. I got plenty of work to do myself, but here's what we're going to make a decision for. Here's what we're going to commit to right now. In Jesus' name, are you ready? I'm going to tell you what the prayer is, and then we're going to pray it. Lord, I choose to be on the right side of the interest equation. I choose to be a lender, not a debtor. I choose to be financially free. Is that a good prayer?
Is that worth praying? I got to say one more thing before we close the service and we pray that prayer together. Because I dare say there's some of you, uh, either in the room or online, who haven't dealt with the debt you owe to God. He's a holy God. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. And if you haven't settled that one, then hear me, guys. You will never be free until you start there. What did Paul say? I have learned the secret of contentment. And what was the secret? His name is Jesus Christ. As long as you're trying to fill a void in your life that is Jesus-shaped, you will never be financially free. So it begins by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, maybe you're not absolutely sure you've done that, do not leave this room. Do not turn your computer off until you pray that prayer with me today. You ready, guys? Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray that most important prayer first. If you're not absolutely sure that you have established a dynamic, living, breathing, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's fresh, it's alive, then pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I want to be free. You promised that if I would learn your truths and walk in your truths, I would be. You promised that if I came to you, I could be a new creation, a new creature. Old is gone, new has come. And so I'm asking you simply to keep your promise. I'm coming to you. Forgive me, Lord, for ignoring you. Forgive me, Lord, for trying to do this my way, give me a fresh start today. I want a new life, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. And now for all of us together, you ready for that second prayer? I've already told you what it is. Let's pray it. You can pray out loud, pray silently. I don't care, but here we go. I'll give it to you phrase by phrase. Let it come from your heart. I choose to be on the right side of the interest equation. I choose to be a lender, not a debtor. I choose to be financially free. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying across this house and across the world online. I pray simply that you'd make yourself real to all of us in this moment and know that what we've been talking about are biblical, eternal truths that changes lives and our lives can be transformed into this living, breathing example of what it means to have Jesus at the center. Thank you for the way you're doing that right now, the way you've been doing it for years. We give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, would you? So glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning. Don't forget tomorrow night, powerful night of worship. Dino Rizzo's going to be here. I'd love to have you here at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Let's worship the Lord together, okay? If you've made a decision today, there's a decision table back here. There'll be prayer teams at the front. We'd love to pray with you before you leave. Again, first-time guests, take your Connect card to the VIP table. We've got to thank you for coming gift. We'd love to put in your hands. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you soon.